Hi, this is Jimmy, and you're listening to Stage Door Medium. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 6, Wipe Your Feet at the Door, featuring Broadway legend and ultra-funny girl, Michelle Ragusa. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Jimmy. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited you're here today. Um, oh, my goodness. Me too. So um, if you're watching at home, fun fact, I have never, I've never met Michelle, but I did see her perform. So like this weird happenstance about 10 years ago, um, I, I got my, my first big teaching job. And within the week of being hired, I was flown out to Kansas City, Missouri to go to a, a convention. And I look and I'm like, I wonder what arts and culture there is going on here, which is crazy, the amount of um, art that they have there. And I saw that there was a production of Into the Woods running at Kansas City Rep and with you. And I was like, I have to see this because both of us having gone to Niagara, you were like the gold star of everyone's always like, well, Michelle Ragusa, Michelle Ragusa, Michelle. And I was like, who the hell is like Michelle? And I'm like, I, I have to finally just see her in something. So when I saw that you were in this production, I remember, I don't even know how I got there because there wasn't Uber yet. It was like... <laughs> No clue, but I remember I got my ticket, and I, I have to say, if you're watching at home and you've never seen something with Michelle, go, like run, go see whatever Michelle is in, because I remember to this day, I can tell you, like photographic memory. First off, you flew in. Remember you flew in yep. as the witch? Yep. I'd never seen that. Well, I had also never seen a professional production of Into the Woods other than the one that with Bernadette that I would rent all the time from the library right. and my mom would get so ticked because she knew how long it was. And she was like, not this one again. Um, <laughs> but I remember distinctly where I sat, I was left side. And I remember it was the most honest human representation of this like deeply flawed character that you played. And I distinctly remember when you hear the crunch and Rapunzel gets I will never forget it. I, I, I have this list of theatrical performances that are branded up here. Yours is one of them. And I remember looking at you, it was the most subtle change when you realized that, that your kid, you know, was, was gone. And it was something I will never forget. Um, oh, it, it just course. stuck with Thank me. You. So, that means a lot. Thank you very much. Yeah. It, it's always stuck with me. Um, so I have Michelle here. Um, I, I'm, I'm hoping that we could talk a little bit. Um, so if you're watching, the title of this episode is called Wipe Your Feet at the Door. Um, and Michelle, I was wondering, could you, I guess, share your experiences in terms of how do you separate your personal life from your professional life? Like, what do you do to, I guess, let's break it down two ways, to wipe your feet at the door both ways, coming into work, and then how do you make sure that you leave everything from work at work for when you come back home. Do you mind mm -hmm. talking about that? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, obviously, there are certain roles that uh, require an enormous amount of emotional um, depth and um, depending on the character, you really do need to, to shed it. Um, I had an experience many years ago that taught me a huge lesson. I was doing a production of Carousel and uh, there, uh, there was someone um, at the performance that I felt the need, I really needed to impress this person uh, <clears throat> who was seeing the show. So the moment when Billy dies, 
and Julie is holding him, I decided that I needed to amp up what emotion I had. So I dug down for something uh, that was uh, painful and resonant for me. And <clears throat> it, you know, it got me where I needed to be. But through the entire intermission, I could not stop sobbing. I couldn't stop. And I thought, okay, so we have these emotions. I am a very emotional person. I have a whole grab bag of stuff that I can get. I learned my lesson that you have to be very careful what you grab onto and how much of it. Is this the line where she's talking about being a, a Billy being a good boy or something? Yeah, it's 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 that moment where you know Billy Billy is flawed and Billy you know makes the wrong decisions for the right reasons. And there is always a director said to me once that because I said why would Julie stay with Billy? I I don't understand you know because in Carousel all this all that stuff that happens with them it happens off stage. Yes. I mean what you just see on the stage you have to fill it in as an actor with with those two roles especially. Um, and I always remember directors saying to me, I believe that Julie sees Billy's soul. And I thought, okay, that's deep. I can roll with that. And so the moment where he is stabbed, you know, because, you know, the, the, the um, situation goes awry and they let her know and she comes running and basically has the last moment with him before he dies. And then I think she's, uh, that you'll never walk alone. Yes. You know, you stand there and that song happens. And um, I had lost someone very close to me um, a few years before that. Um, and I dug down for that loss that I felt. And it was way too deep. <laughs> it was way too deep. So I learned a lesson and I thought, okay, uh, I, can, I can access emotion. I can access feeling to help uh, flush out this character that I'm playing, that there is a limit. And you, and you must be respectful of that uh, as an actor. Um, you know, playing uh, Rose in Gypsy is, is one of, one of the, the, the things for me that really resonate with me. I understand her. Mm. I understand Rose. I get it. And I see why she does what she does. I understand. And one of the best compliments to me uh, was a director who came to see me do it. And he said, you know what? I never really understood her until I saw you play her. And I saw a whole nother side of her because everything comes from love with her. Warped love? Yeah, you could say so but it's all from love. So you approach from that angle. And I think it makes her human. And it doesn't, I, 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 I don't like when they say that Rose is a monster, you know, the showbiz monster mother. I'm like, no, I don't agree with that. I don't agree. She's a steamroller. No, she's very driven, but everything's from love, you know? You so it. I do find that you know, if you're doing a comedy, it, it's easy, you know, it's easy to, to leave it at the, leave it, you know, whatever. Cause you know, we just had like a really fun evening, you know, you do drowsy chaperone. That was a ball, you know, <laughs> you do guys and dolls. That was a blast, you know. I um, wish I could have seen you as Elizabeth in Young Frankenstein. Oh my God. I, I feel like that show to go in and do every night was probably. That a was a joy and that was also my first time with my picture outside the theater a big picture that gorgeous 
that gorgeous with that red wig that was the most sublime color. Paul Huntley, one of the, the best. most unbelievable. He made me a brand new wig. Because I thought I was going to wear Megan's. I'm like, I'm replacing Megan. They'll give me all her stuff. I mean, I had her costumes, you know. If you're watching uh, home really quick, Megan is Megan Mullally from Will Megan Mullally, yeah. Uh-huh. Michelle uh, with her replacement. Yeah. Oh. Who very kindly left me her couch in the dressing room because I didn't have furniture to put in a dressing room. She looks you know? great. Well, She's and I great. and I remember, you know, because um, you and I, you know, we spoke about my mom who's no longer with me and uh, I feel her around me all the time. And uh, the day that I was officially taking over, I got to the theater and it was early and they, you know, came down and they opened up the door for me and I walked into my dressing room and there were four enormous flower bouquets, one from Mel Brooks, one from Susan Stroman, one from the producers, and I think one from like really dear friends in Buffalo, which was just, and I remember sitting on the couch and crying because I thought, oh, what this would have meant to my mom to have experienced this, you know, but I thought she's with me. She's with she's me. There. She's always with me. But just that feeling like, oh my gosh, it's happening. Yeah. So yeah, that was fantastic. Can I ask too, do you, do you find that you have to cycle through? So when you talked about you, you have, you have your arsenal that you'll pull from in terms of um, channeling certain scenes and, and when you've got to get from point A to point B, do you find that you have to cycle them out? Will they get too old? Will they get too painful if you keep going to the same one or will you be like I've got to I've got to find a different way tonight because this one's not doing it for me oh I see uh yeah you know um we're human you know and it, you have to do eight shows a week twice on twice on Wednesday twice on Saturday or sometimes you do two Saturday two Sunday yes. you know you've 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 got to get to a place where um you can be fresh um, you know, I, I was in Titanic for two years and I never got tired of standing backstage and listening to that overture and watching our conductor who had like the strongest stick I have ever seen the way he would conduct that. Who was he, the conductor uh, for that one? Uh, Kevin Stites. Yeah. And he, I mean, he's it, man. And, you know, when I got to do Titanic at the Muni, you know, which is outside, like 11,000 seats, um, (laughs) Kevin did it it, uh, there as well. So he came back. So it was fantastic uh, to, to, to journey with him again. Um, But, you know, you, you find things that, that can, that can be fresh for you. Uh, Also, you know, staying in a place of gratitude. I mean, who gets to be an actor? Two percent of people get to be a working actor, and there have been times where I have heard actors bemoan, or ugh, like I just wish the show would close. It's like you can quit. <laughs> That's easy. You have to find gratitude. I have had a few moments in my life where I've had to take certain jobs because. I needed the work or I needed my weeks for my health insurance. Yeah. And that is such an empty feeling. It's awful because it is a gift to do what you do. And if you don't really connect with the show, I mean, obviously you find a way to, you're standing in front of people, you have to perform. But when it's a show that you're not really <laughs> jazzed about, it really feels, um, uh, it's a void. It feels vacant. And you do find a way to do it, but it's not the joy where you're like, oh, I can't wait 
to do this show tonight. I can't wait to show all these new faces what I'm going to bring to you. Like you said, Into the Woods, that, that is one of my, I will never, ever, ever forget that experience. And the interesting thing is, you know, to explore that show with Moises Kaufman, who directed it, it was his first musical. He'd never done a musical before. And we had four yeah. weeks of rehearsal. Yeah. We went through that like it was Shakespeare. I mean, this is how we put it up, which was amazing. And Flying Over Sunset, written and directed by James Lapine. Into the Woods, written and directed by James Lapine. So there was a moment actually where something was posted. This was after the shutdown. And I sent him an email with a picture of me as that hideous witch. And I said, James, I don't think I, I never took the time to talk to you about this. I said, but this, this show changed my life. I mean, it really did. It was just one of those experiences. It was magic. And I said, well, just wanted to thank you for that. And he said, oh, that, I didn't realize that was you. I heard that was an amazing production. And yeah, it, it was. was. And the first time you were wigged or they bald capped you, which I thought was awesome. And then you had this little little poof of hair on the back. Yeah, it was, it was a little little bald cap with spindly hair and that yes. little tiny witchy poo hat. It was almost like a steampunk. steampunk, steampunk it was like a steampunk. And that was Clint Ramos, uh, who is now like big time Tony oh Award winning costume person. We oh designed a bunch of stuff together, which was really, really cool. But the funny thing was the transformation, if you remember, the transformation into the glamorous witch with you the had, red. You were a redhead again. Uh -huh, redhead. And we red. had a double feeding the cow in the cloak. So I had like literally like 30 seconds yes. to do the transformation. I thought, wait, the first audience, I thought, wait till they get a load of this. Oh my God, this is going to be amazing. And I went out and we did the switchy switchy. And I went like, come with the cloak. It was like. People thought it was someone else. No. <laughs> the change was so unbelievable. They were like, I don't know. Whoa, there's a new actress on the stage. I don't know. Do we clap? It, I was like, oh, oh no. Again, if you're watching at home, don't give Bernadette Peters too much credit because that was filmed on two separate nights. So they went a lot heavier on her prosthetics because when I was a kid, I was like, how are they doing it? And I, I was watching for people. So yeah. if you if you are unfamiliar with the show, you know, when the witch transforms and she's she's gorgeous again, the, the old one that's recorded with Bernadette, it's crazy how quickly it's done. But that's two different nights. Her prosthetics no. were not that heavy the second yeah. night. This was nuts. And it really was a bald cap no makeup, yep. fake nose, and then contouring. So as soon as we we got into that, how we were gonna do it, it was just like a face wipe, pulled off the nose, quick makeup. My person would stand there with my false eyelashes, with the glue on, <laughs> like ready to go. I mean, it was, yeah, it was, uh, I, I thought it was gonna rock people's worlds, man. <laughs> For last midnight, I can't remember. Do you go bald again? I don't remember what they did. No, for that's, you know, that's something I would love to talk to James about because when you look at the lyrics and you look at the situation, what she is actually saying, like and about her own mother and everything, with yes. the beans and I don't want the beans, she should have gone back. But when she comes out for careful the things you say, children will listen. She's still beautiful. And I thought, did she just want to stay beautiful? <laughs> Bernadette no. was like, can I just stay in this? look here um i don't know uh but but that costume that clint and i worked on together where i would disappear through the floor and the costumes on stage yeah 
that was. That yes. that rocked people. They were like, what? And it was a trap door that yes. nobody could see with a big, it was a cloak and a dress, yeah. but they were right. really easy not the- to do. And in a cool way, it almost was very Wizard of Oz-esque when she goes down in the lift in the floor and yeah. everything had already been. That yeah. whole cast, though, you had Bryn O'Malley as the baker's wife. Yeah. Um, Zachary Lee. Bryn O'Malley, we had Ewan Morton as the Morton. Uh, as the narrator, the old man. Uh, and we had Zach Prince. Prince. Yeah, Zach yeah. Prince played the baker. Uh, oh, it was Claiborne. Yeah. Claiborne Elder was one of Claiborne the- Claiborne was pr- the wolf, wolf Dana Prince. Steingold was Little Red Riding Hood. Yes. Um, I, I, gosh, I wish, and I, I just, I thought the whole design of the production was brilliant in the fact that you never forgot that this was a story being told to a child. And because I remember yeah. throughout the production, you would see it transform a little bit. So where there was the piano, eventually the wood started trickling in and it was just. Yeah, oh. that was all Moises. He wanted, you know, in the beginning, it was the little boy's room was like that box within yes. the set and everybody came out of like the floor. Yes. All- came out of the wardrobe it, it was it he it was, was kind of conducting and orchestrating how the story was going to be told so i thought that was really really smart on moises's part with gypsy did you did you find she was hard i know you said you you clicked with her well actually two questions was there ever a character that you felt like you did well but you didn't necessarily connect with because as a medium there's times where like i i won't lie like i'm able to bring forward their loved ones but i might i might have a reading where i go I don't know if I necessarily connected with the client, so to speak, but I got their loved ones. And was there, have, is there a character that you could say, I liked, I liked what I did with this character, but I didn't connect with them? You know, I, I would say I've been, I've been so fortunate with everything that I've done uh, that there has been a part of me in it. Sometimes you can take an interesting journey if your relationship with the director doesn't really jive. Uh, that can affect the performance. Uh, I actually, I, I did a, a, a production of Noises Off um, and uh, I wanted to play a different character, but this was just an offer. I didn't even have to audition. It was just an offer. So you say yes and thank you. <laughs> um, but I didn't really feel like I connected with her. And then I wasn't sure, cause you know, sometimes you can get in a headspace like, I don't think the director likes me. I don't think, you know, you can get into that. I mean, <laughs> we're so fragile as actors, you know, we are our product. Everyone wants to be liked. So if you think that you're not liked, it can really get under your facade and it, it can, it can terrorize you. The because sometimes- mediumship though, like I, I am so harsh on myself. Like if I feel like if there were, if I only read, if only, if I only pulled through five out of the six people, somebody was hoping to, to get, I will then beat myself up after going like, what did I do wrong? Like, what did I, it, there's such a temptation to get in your own head because yeah. in a way it's tricky though. But I, I find that with mediumship, in order for me to do the best job I can, I have to pull myself out of the equation because I'm, but yes. this weird paradox because you're representing spirit, but you're also representing yourself. Like you don't want somebody saying like, they're a lousy medium. Like that's hurtful. You know what I mean? Like you of want to be a great medium, but you have to get your own, you have to get out of the way. Get, get out of your own way. And that's, it's the same thing with acting. I mean, the worst thing you can do is watch yourself. And I had a situation like my first year in the business, like my first job. And it was a director who clearly wanted to hire me. There was like no one else at the callback. I, I've never experienced that before. Got the job. Everything's going great. And all of a sudden this director came back and was looking at the show 
and I didn't know this, but he had a reputation for emotionally destroying uh, whatever woman was playing this role. And I was young and I didn't know any better and it came out of nowhere. And it absolutely emotionally devastated me. And to this day, as much as I hate to admit it, if I know there's somebody important in the audience, if I know there's a reviewer, if I know there's, it is so hard for me to not watch and judge myself instead of just being in the moment and taking the ride. Yep. And that is an awful feeling as an actor because you feel really self-conscious. And, you know, many times n nobody in the audience would know, but you, you're not able to just be free and get out of your own way, like you said. There was yeah. a performer I read um, not too long ago, and I'm, I was a I am a, a big fan of their work. And when they had reached out to me for a reading, it was first off, it was kind of like, like me, like you, you like you're, cause it's, a, I'm like, you're trusting me with this. It's a, it's a big honor, but like, I'm also such a fan of their work that like, there are nerves that get involved. Like I wanted to do the best job for her. And so I found that I just had, I'm glad I had the warning. I was like, okay, just get it out of your system. Because if you go in there worried about doing a good job for them, you actually, it's, it's, strange to explain that's a weird concept but you kind of cloud up the room energetically and you end up putting a barrier between them so i just had to go you know what like at the end of the day like as a medium it doesn't matter who you are you could be like you know the, the biggest movie star everyone if they've lost a parent or they, they miss them everyone goes to bed i think the same worries keep us up at night and so i think it's when we start to realize mediumship is a real celebration of what it means to be human and like mm -hmm. the, you know what i mean same with acting yeah. then you get out of your way and you start doing the good stuff and the reading knock on wood was was good I, I was like oh i was like thank god i was like i was just worried that i was gonna get in my way and it was it was great um yeah well you're you're incredibly gifted jimmy thank you thank you i was it was the biggest joy to be able to read for you today um do you mind can you share anything about it that you feel comfortable sharing uh well absolutely i mean you know uh I knew my mother was going to be there first and foremost. Um, she had started uh, at seven in the morning. Like Michelle, I was literally in the shower and she was like, I'm still here. I'm like, oh. uh, I'm like well, oh. it's funny you say I'm still here because when you said that, you're, like, that's my theme song. I'm like, yeah, good times and bum times. <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, that was amazing. Um, you know, I, I won't go into depth. A lot of people are aware, you know, I did have a, a, a health scare a couple of years ago and I, I went through something that, you know, most people don't want to ever have to deal with. Um, it, it was fine. You know, I, I'm on the other side of it. Uh, I, I did what I could for myself, which was uh, envisioning my mother and my grandmothers with their hands on me when I was receiving some treatment, um, which was really great. So uh, one of the first things that you said was that everything with my health is fine. Because uh, as I said to you, you know, you, you, there's always a feeling like you're looking over your shoulder when you've had something scary happen to you. Um, so that was wonderful. That was so nice to hear. And then the things though, that talking about, you know, out of nowhere, like our blind cat and that my mother's like playing with our blind cat and then talking about our neighborhood, which is means so much to us. And, um, you know, hearing all of, all of those things, um, 
you know, you told me so much that I, 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 I'm still like kind of um, tingling from it. Um, and it feels tingly after you get a reading and after I give one, if it's, if, if it's so positive, I swear you feel like middle. Yeah. Such well, a and what thing. you, what you do is so wonderful because, you know, you, you say, I'm, I, 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 there's nothing scary. I'm not going to say anything scary or, or, or anything like that to frighten you. Um, <clears throat> you know, I've always thought that I don't, I know my mother's around me. I don't see her because I know my mother would think that she would be frightening me if she actually appeared to me, you know, if I actually saw her standing there. Um, so I know she's here, but she, she knows I, I don't need to see her. Um, and, and I, you know, years ago, I, I had somebody did a reading as a gift for me and it was on a cassette tape. And I remember listening to it. This person said something that was so horrifying that when I got sick, I started thinking back like, wait, was this what that person said? Because it was something like, you may get that like horrible illness. And if, if you survive it, you will live to a ripe old age. That's, that's the, so, oh. and, and, and you know what, that, that ticks me off because as a medium, we have to work really hard to battle those misconceptions. So I feel like you do have people that are in the entertainment industry. Um, when I say entertainment, I mean, Yes, it's legit, but I mean the bigger scale. So you have like Teresa Caputo, Tyler Henry. Those folks are working so hard to help combat those negative experiences. Like, because I was just watching an old horror movie with my husband called Don't Look Now, and it was like shot in Venice. And the medium was blind. Her eyes were completely white, and she's like writing. She's like, danger. Like, that's what people sometimes associate with mediums, and it couldn't be farther. Like, the way I describe it to a client is like, life like is hard. Life is a marathon and we miss our family. And just because they're not here physically, it doesn't mean yeah. that they're not on the other side, still rooting. And really quick, I just got to ask, cause your mom still steps back in. Cause she's been over here now. She's like, she's watching all of this. Do you guys have chimes somewhere? Um, chimes? Cause I'm hearing like, I know they're not going off, but I'm hearing chimes. And she says that that's her sign too. Cause I almost feel like there's nights where there's like no breezes. And then I hear chimes go off and yeah. she steps. Oh, I love that. Her I sign love as well. that. She would have come through in more gentle ways. You know what I mean? Like she would have been more gentle, but it's just enough to know that she's there. That um, she's there. Well, you know what? I, actually, I have a question for you, Jimmy. Oh. So, um, you know, the, the way you deliver your information is, is so nurturing and, and lovely and warm. And um, do you hear things or get things that you choose to not say? Mm. Do, or do you not, is that, do you do something where it's like, that stuff is not going to be allowed? Great You're question. You're allowed to do that to spirit. You got it. So um, you'll notice when I started with a prayer, uh, I always say, if you go to a medium and they don't start with a prayer, get out or tell mm -hmm. them, I, I want you to start with a prayer. Because for me, like my employers, you know, the big guy and, uh, or girl or, you know, whatever <laughs> we want to call our, you know, the higher power. Mm -hmm. you have to come from a place of gratitude and you have to come from a place of the best thing I learned when I trained at Lilydale was you are in control the entire time as the medium and mm -hmm. you set the parameters for, I always, I mean, say even on a non-spiritual level, if you are a really kind person, a really loving, a really giving person, and you're like, Hey, this is what I expect. All of your friends in your contact list are most likely also going to be really loving, good, kind people, because that's what you expect. Right. The same as a reading. So you'll notice I kept saying highest and best only 
only those messages that are going to help us to grow. You set the search filter because I think when there are mediums that will get um, or try to share scary things, I, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I don't get it at all because I clearly tell them, I'm like, I don't want to know because that's yeah. not going to help us grow while we're here in right. the physical. It's not going to, and, and you, you said something interesting. Sometimes when I get asked a question, sometimes I will be shown this. So if they give me the, the sh symbol, it means that they're not going to tell me either because if somebody were to know the answer, they might start to do things so differently. Um, uh, where oh, it, yeah, like affecting the future or something. Bingo. And so for case in point, let's say you asked me, hey, is the money coming? And I got, I see a yes, but I do this. I might, for example, I might say, is this a lawsuit? And you, maybe you're like, yes, it's this. And they, maybe the money like doesn't get settled for 10 years. So if I say yes to you, maybe I don't know that you're not good with your money. I mean, you're not, I'm not saying that about you, but maybe the client that I'm reading is a gambler. They might start to spend money that they don't have because they're like, well, the medium said the money's coming. I've been told it's coming. So if they mm, know you're going to get weird about the future knowing like, or if you try to rush things getting there, I always yeah. say the biggest things happen for us when we relinquish control. So when we're hoping for that big thing to happen, yep. just got to let go I, um, yeah. and just go. I, I, good I, lesson I, for everybody. I know I'm a control freak. <laughs> so many times I have to try, like, don't do it. Just I can it. be too. So sometimes when I, I know I always have this little expression that I always just say, like, let go, let God, like, let him take over. Um, yep. But no, that, thank you. I, um, I try my best to be nurturing in, their, in the response because I feel like it is a very intimate personal thing as a medium that you start relaying these messages from yeah. people's closest loved ones. Like you have to, because what's beautiful about it is that if you do it in a really careful, thoughtful way, you will actually start to bring out their personality in the way you relay the messages to them. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And I try hard to yeah. not rush. Um, so thank you. Well, it's like you're, you're, awesome. you know, you're kind of pulling the curtain on someone's private life and yeah. It, especially if you don't know, you don't know the person and you're going to start delivering some information and some messages. I mean, <clears throat> it is a very um, uh, exposed experience, I would say. But again, the way the way you deliver everything is is fantastic. Thank you. Uh, that, that, that means a lot to me. I, I try really hard. And at the end of the day, like I, I have some um, I have some of my own little things on my desk that um, just kind of remind me to, to always stay humble. I have a, um, there's this picture that I'll have to put it up on the live stream. It's um, a production shot that my husband took when, when I directed mom. Yeah. And it's this beautiful shot of Donna on the chair right after, what is it? Chikatita or something where she's down, but her two friends are in the background because they're still having a good time. And for me, that photo speaks volumes to me because it's, it's this idea of, even if I'm having the best day, I still have to come into the reading with a sensitivity because whoever that client is, that's the Donna in the chair. That's them. And I still have to remind myself that like, <clears throat> turn off yourself right now and, and tune into what these people need. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, I don't know if I explained it well, but when no, you I think that's picture, it'll make, it'll make sense. So. Well, and it's interesting too, because, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, about Niagara university, uh, our, our connection, you know, where I went to college and I wanted to tell you, um, when I was in Seattle last fall doing a, a brand new musical called Austin's Pride. Pride, yeah. Um, yeah, hoping. Let's hope something There's happens. This one shot of you, like, are you like popping out behind a pot or something like that or something? <laughs> yes. 
I like that one. <laughs> yeah, there's me get, getting to play somebody funny. Um, but we were in rehearsals and I was sitting out in the green room and our writer, Lindsay, came out and she walked by and she looked at me and she said, um, I have a friend who just um, texted me and, and it says, Brother Tim wants you to know he's so proud of you. I burst into tears. Everybody who was sitting around the table was like, what just happened? And I said, what? but it was like brother Tim. Cause there was brother and there was Tim. Yeah. I don't know if Tim was being funny and like I'm brother Tim or if they were both like standing there and, and saying that they were proud of me. I could not believe it. And she has a friend, I guess, who is uh, also a, a medium or just someone who's sensitive and out of nowhere. Just I want to play with for me. Tim because Tim was very like brother, oh. sister. Um, yeah. You know, he directed me in Chicago outside of that. And he directed me in Peter Pan. And I will never forget to this day as a, you know, with, with directing my students and it has always stuck with me. I remember they were trying to figure out a transition for Peter Pan where they were the, they were playing the transition music when Captain Hook and, and um, the pirates, capture everyone they were playing it too early and I, I had been a big fan of the the mary martin one and the kathy rigby one growing up and i remember he was like i'm so stumped if anyone in the cast has an idea please let me know and it was the most gracious of things for like a director this guy was a genius and i remember i went over and i was like the problem is they're starting this music too early this music should be happening here and he looked at me and he like i could tell that he was process processing it all, and he all yeah he would always Mm -hmm. Yeah, he'd go, hmm, yes. Yep. Um, and I remember he looked at me and he was like, that's it. And I remember he looked at the the cast and he was like, dear hearts, we have a solution to our vexing problem. And it was, you know, Jimmy solved it. And to have that moment to be recognized and felt seen by him, I've never forgotten it. Like, like on the same level. Yes, and I try my. It was best. always like that. It was never like he was better than you or oh. more powerful than you. No, Tim was fantastic. But I, I wanted to tell you that I just totally forgot. I was like, I have to tell Tim. you, I got that message. Tim was, Tim was, just good people, you yeah. know. And I want to talk about flying over sunset because this show. I had wanted to go see it, and then COVID had other plans. But if you could tell <laughs> us a little bit about it, what to expect. Um, anything that you find special about it. I would, I would love for you to share that with our, with our viewers. Sure, sure, sure. Um, well, the most special thing about it is that it is a brand new musical, not based on anything. It was not a movie first. It was not anything like that. It, it, this is truly from the brain of James Lapine. Um, and the thing that really intrigued me when my agents reached out to me about going in for it was, you know, it's about Cary Grant, Aldous Huxley, Claire Booth Luce, uh, and Gerald Hurd. And they all did LSD together uh, in Malibu. And I was like, it's a musical about LSD? <laughs> okay. Um, and then, you know, you add in Michael Corey, who is one of the most genius lyricists ever, and Tom Kitt who I really only kind of knew like next to normal. This score is a complete departure. It's heaven. It is absolutely- Tom Kitt was If Then, correct? Hmm? Tom Kitt was also If Then? Yes. 
Uh, I, I'm so, mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm always impressed by, I mean, we're all artists, but I'm always impressed by someone like, how do you hear this music? How do you, you know, which comes first, the music or the lyrics, you know, and how they work together. Um, and uh, I uh, play Claire's mother, Austin, uh, who uh, died uh, in a car accident. Her daughter also died in a car accident. Um, but when I died, I was pretty much Claire's age. So Carmen Cusack, uh, who is delicious who, in this part. Send a phone book. Who could send Amazing. a phone book? Amazing. Yeah. And I, yes, I have to understudy her. <laughs> I also understudy her. I'm like, oh no. Yes, oh, yes, yes, yes. But anyway, um, never, never got to the point where I had to learn the part because we didn't start. Um, but uh, she sees me and her daughter when she's on LSD. Uh, that's when she has her experience with me. That's where my song comes in. Um, and the only time the music plays is when the characters are on their trip. And the thing that I found really fascinating, because a lot of people are like, so it's a musical about people on drugs. I mean, from the same people that loved a musical about cats. Like, let's be Hello. honest. Let's be on drugs. Can we talk about that? Um, <laughs> the, the, the amazing thing, though, is that, and, and as we were in rehearsals, randomly, I would see things on TV, like the Today Show. There was a, a married couple who were talking about their use of LSD. I'm talking, this like just happened, like in, in February or March. They decided to do LSD because LSD allows you to experience things without walls. So this couple was repairing their marriage on LSD because they could be real with each other. Mm -hmm. They weren't being defensive. I mean, those things don't kind of come in well, when you're on LSD. I mean, I've never done it. <laughs> I kept saying, I, I got to get some mushrooms or something. <laughs> I got to try this um, to see, as my husband just says, we have them. Quiet down. Um, but uh, but the, the musical is just exploring how, how, how people can open up their lives and, and experience things. And sometimes they're really great experiences and sometimes they're not, you know, but we've got Tony Yazbek playing Cary Grant and he has this tap number that will, it's going to blow the roof off the theater. And we have Harry Hayden Patton, uh, you know, who was Henry Higgins uh, at Lincoln Center. Um, That's so good. Oh, and his performance is so layered and, and, and amazing. And, you know, we, we did a dress, invited dress for maybe 30, 40 people. Going to start our first preview on the 13th. Broadway shot on the 12th. So my husband and some people were very lucky to see the show. <laughs> I, I can't um, wait to see it when it's back. Well, it's, I really, it, it, the set... There's stuff they're doing on the set that has never been done on Broadway before. I can't wait. And Lincoln Center is about art, and this is the perfect house for this musical. It really is. So I, I, I can't wait. I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And Lincoln Center is committed. This is like a, a love piece uh, that the head of Lincoln Center and James are very, very close. And um, this is like, a, it's a gift of love. Even he the fact that you're talking about exploring the afterlife in a way, you know, picking up on people that are no longer in the physical, just yes. that excites me. It's neat, I, you know, and um, that's going to be something that, you know, if I, when you'd mentioned Carousel, I was so excited to hear you say that because some of the episodes that I'm going to be doing in the future is breaking down a couple big musicals and talking about what these musicals got right 
about the afterlife and carousel is probably the biggest closest musical I can think of that um I want to talk about carousel ghost um the movie what about secret garden too garden you know a neat exploration of what these shows because carousel was huge for the time to really be addressing the afterlife um you know where we go and I wonder if it was the first one uh, you know, the book that I was just reading, um, gosh, which I was reading the one by, is it uh, Jack, Vert, is it Vertel? Vert, Vertel? Jack Vertel. Who also, and when you talked about, not, gosh, when you talked about um, with Flying Over Sunset being completely original, he had a hand in helping craft the plot for the prom, which did you see? I, I didn't get to see it. I was out of town and then I was doing uh, Flying Over Sunset, so I, I was, never got and, to see it. And I have never been at the end of an act one going into intermission where I felt like I was completely sucker punched and I did not see it coming at all. And like he, it was so nice to see a fresh musical that was not based on a book that was not based on, it was. Mm. Well, well, you know, it's interesting with this pandemic, Jimmy, cause I think, you know, I keep trying to look for silver linings. You know, you kind of have to, I, I think if you, if you don't, you're just going to spiral down into madness. Um, <clears throat> and I feel like, Hey, New York is being, New York City is just, I mean, it's all about tourism. It's all about, you know, what's going to happen. And I feel like we make it back to a different normal. Yes. And I think that, you know, you actually alluded to something like this in my reading, that the, the art will come back and people will be hungry for it. And I think there will be perhaps more opportunity to take a risk, if you will, um, instead of doing every musical that's based on a movie because you feel confident that if you're going to spend, you know, $25 million to get a musical up, you have to feel confident that you're going to make your money back. And, and that, you know, I always say, you know, you do work in the regions because that's where the art is and Broadway's about money. And I hate to say that, but I've said that for the years. Business. You know, yeah. it's the business. And I hope one day, and I know it probably, and it's funny, during the reading I talked about, I, I had seen, my gut is making me feel like revivals will come back. And I feel like in our climate right now, we ragtime would be such a beautiful show to have come back again too. Oh, I think it would be, especially with BLM. Uh, I mean, all of that. I, I really think that um, that show, you know, holds a huge place in my heart. Um, and, and I, and I think that the message is strong and, and there's lessons in it. And I, I really do, you know, I, I think that art is art and we have to be careful. Even if art like Showboat, Showboat was written in a very specific period. And yes, there are words we don't like to hear and there's words that we don't use. I think to say no one can ever do it again is a mistake because I think you can learn. Yes. I think you can learn from it. You do a Q&A after. Someone maybe speaks before. You're not saying, I applaud what's happening in this musical. You're not saying that. No. It's art. It's art. And I think we do have to be careful. Carousel. When I saw Carousel, the revival with Jesse Mueller and um, Joshua Henry, yeah. I, uh, um, it is an experience I, I will never forget. You know, I got I had lied. And long story short, I proposed to my husband, Dave, on a carousel, in Jane's carousel in Brooklyn. So oh. I rented it out for the hour. I lied to him. I told him that we had won a meet and greet with the cast of Carousel. He didn't know that Carousel wasn't even open yet. But <laughs> he, followed, he took the bait, proposed. And when Carousel finally um, was revived, I was like, I've got to make good on this. So I remember I got us front row seats. And to be that 
close, but I mean, just, I, I, I was so present that entire time with that company. And I remember um, it was a little, um, where am I going with this? I guess it was, that production was something that I know got a lot of flack for initially um, uh, in terms of the, you know, the, like you mentioned the one scene, like we don't see it, you know, we don't see, you know, Billy hitting, um, yeah. <clears throat> hitting Julie. And I, they had talked, they had done so many, they had so many great dialogues and, and Q and A's where they had talked about, that's not what this show is about. You know, if we try to make this about abuse, we're missing the point here. This is a show about redemption. This is a show about trying to fill the gaps that are um, in our absence. And um, his was, it was graphic. It was not a falling on a knife. It was a suicide. Um, and and it was, it was pretty gross to see it that close. And, um, and that, that's a whole nother topic that I might, will probably cover one week is um, suicides and, and what happens when we kind of leave early. Um, and, and that show so beautifully explores like the gaps that are created, you know, with Julie and Billy's daughter and how she's experiencing the loss because she doesn't exactly. have this dad. And, and the star keeper and how, you know, he, how he helps Billy. Yes. And, you know, I always find it fascinating when you hear about um, productions where the star keeper is a child. Like you know, it's like how cool, right? I mean, I love that there's musicals that you can you can do things like that. You can you can change and, and cast whoever you want. It doesn't have to be set in stone. And for you to be able to experience Jesse and Joshua because they're such gifted performers uh, in depth, you know, I find that fascinating. When you had mentioned getting a glimpse, Julie gets a glimpse into Billy's soul. Yeah. You see it during the bench scene, you know, that during the If I Loved That's You. It. That's it. I remember making a joke uh, the first time I did it because, you know, you're doing it regionally and, you know, it's up in two weeks. You, you rehearse, it's up and you're, and you're going. Um, and I remember all of a sudden it dawned on me. I said, oh my gosh, this character, Julie, she's happy for like the first 15 minutes. Of and, that's all. and the next time you see her, she's already been hit once. You're like, oh my gosh. You know, because a lot of people like, yeah, but they think like, oh, Carousel. Oh, I love Carousel. Oh, the songs are so pretty. Uh, Heavy. She's dark. <laughs> it's you know, and, and when the, when they're speaking together at the first time, I mean, when you listen to those lyrics that, that Billy's mm-hmm. saying, like mm-hmm. he's a poet at at yeah. heart, you know that um, yeah. like that. Yep. These are the most, and it's interesting that like I, I feel like Rodgers and Hammerstein did such a beautiful job of getting that man's hopes and dreams out there, but never through dialogue. It was always through song, and it kind of expressed those higher longings and. Right. What, and I love the 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 bench scene. I mean, I, I I'm pretty sure it's it's always um, directed this way. But the but the fabulous thing that Julie stays seated, yes, and she's grounded. And Billy, for all his swagger, he can't stop moving around. You know, it's like he's kind of like off his game a little bit with her. Yeah, she did not move because he has a hold over women. You know, he gets oh, any any woman he wants. You know, Mrs. Mullins, any woman he wants, and she just sits. She just sits still, and she. Mm-hmm. She's her and own force of energy that kind of grounds him, and. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Michelle, I have to thank you so much for for being a guest here today. This was the biggest honor to be able to speak with you and bring forward your loved ones earlier. And um, if you are watching at home, keep an eye out for Flying Over Sunset when Broadway comes back and it's going to come back bigger and bigger and better and more beautiful and supportive than ever. And if you are watching at home when it's back, get yourself a ticket, go see the incredible artist that is Michelle Ragusa. So I want to thank you so much. Thank you. So special. Thank you. Bye, Michelle. Bye, Jimmy. 
Hi, everyone. I want to thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed. If you want to learn more about Stage Door Medium, please feel free to give me a follow at Stage Door Medium on Instagram, stagedoormedium.com, and on YouTube, Stage Door Medium as well. I hope you're well, and we'll see you soon.